what I remind people of is that uh, you are a person who has had cancer, but you are not cancer. Ah. There's there, you know, the cancer is a process that happens in the body, but you, there's so much more of you than the cancer. And furthermore, there are parts of you that cancer will never touch. The cancer will never touch. You know, like we what? are like like the essence of who we are, our character, our personality, our 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 our, our soul. You know, souls don't get cancer. Oh, bodies do, bodies do, but souls don't. Hi, everybody. This is Diane Gilman, formerly the Queen of Jeans, currently the host of the podcast Too Young to Be Old. All in your head. And today we have a very, very fascinating guest. And the topic is Dr. Shawnee Fox How to Make the Most of the Life You Survived for If You Had Cancer. Now, this month is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We've done double podcasts this month in honor of that. And this will be the last cancer awareness podcast we do for October. Dr. Shani, I love what you say here, which is you are a counselor and a coach for making the most of the life you survive for. And I just want to say, not only was I, am I, a cancer survivor, breast cancer. I also was the singular and sole caregiver for my soulmate who almost 30 years ago contracted every kind of cancer and put up a valiant battle for 10 years. But I'll tell you what, it devastated me. It devastated our relationship. It made me so fearful of cancer that honestly, when I saw the title of your book, Cancer Survivors Fear First Aid Kit, I thought, oh my God, sign me up. I needed that. (laughs) So tell me something, two things. First of all, what led you to focus on this area of the medical community and and really the medical disaster we have in this country. Uh, well, I'm focused on the community. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, that that I think occurred about halfway through medical school. Uh, we used to have on Fridays what they call grand rounds presentations. So doctors would come in and present cases from that they had dealt with in the field so that we have a, a greater sense of what actually happens in the world. So we had a presentation from a doctor who saw cancer patients, and he brought several active cancer patients in with him, sort of as a panel discussion format. And I remember leaving that presentation so touched, so moved, and to the point where I didn't even go to my next class. I went to a stairwell and just sat with it for a while, just to, to, wow. to figure out what, what was it that was happening for me, because I was in tears after that discussion. Not so much from sadness, something else. So as I just simply sat with it, I realized I was witnessing people at their most vulnerable. They were really, all of them in active treatment, so they were really, they were, they were lacking energy. They were at the end of their resources in every single way, and yet they were fighting what we call the good fight. And I, I realized several things about that. Number one, when a person is in that situation, 
they're ready to do very often at least they're very they're they're ready to do anything that would help them come back to a life that's joyful and fulfilling they they're ready for anything they're ready to learn they're ready to do as much as they can and so that's a beautiful place to work with people that's a beautiful place to work with people there there is yeah. nothing better for somebody in in my profession to have somebody come in like an open book and say teach me guide me you know, I really want to make the most of my life. I want to get back to my health and make the most of it. You know, so that, I always, yeah. I always said cancer for me, not so much when my mate passed away. And that was just, that killed me for years, mm. but the grief was so deep. But for me having breast cancer, I always, I came out of it saying the great teacher cancer is yeah. a great teacher. And second of all, that vulnerability, which I had never had before. I built an ivory tower around me of, you know, living on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, being in fashion, being on TV. I had every brick in place so that nobody could get to me, real me. That all came down. And you know what? It set me up to use my heart energy for the rest of my life. Yes. Yes. Now yes. you I you have a pretty amazing question. And I said, no, I don't want to know it until we get into the podcast. But I can't wait. So please tell us what is the most common side effect of cancer? Parenthesis, it's not what you think. What <laughs> is it? Tell tell do tell. Well, there is one side effect of cancer that research has demonstrated that affects 70%, that's 70%. So the vast majority of people who have had cancer are affected by this particular side effect. And that is fear. That is fear. Oh, yeah. The, the typical experience of a cancer, a person who has had cancer is that the minute they're diagnosed, they don't even have a chance to absorb what just happened. They're they're funneled right into a path of treatment. Now, not to say that that's not good and important. It is, of course. But the psychological side of this and the emotional side of this journey is basically put aside until we get in, you know, the physical part done. And even then, as you know, uh, because you've experienced it, when the treatment itself is done, there's typically a little celebration. And then people say, have a great life. And it's not the way it works. Any, any cancer survivor will say that that is one of the most difficult points in the journey, not having processed the original uh, diagnosis, particularly, having now been through treatment where now it takes such a physical toll in so many cases. And then I'm let out the door without knowing who's going to be there to support me or who can I ask questions of even. And the treatment okay. team is on to the next patient. Yeah, and for me, I'm going to add one more thing to that. Yeah. I, believe it or not, it, it, the whole thing was an out-of-body experience for me for about two years mm -hmm. until I came back into my body again. I was almost out and above and an observer. And so mm -hmm. there was no fear. There was no sadness. There was no emotion. There was just a soul. It's probably what soldiers go through on a battlefield. There was just a soldierly feeling. I was driven 
to get the job done. And the yes. job mm -hmm. was to be able to tolerate all of these chemicals and the, and the x-rays and the this and the MRIs and the that and, and, and get through it successfully. Yes. For me, what really made it difficult were people around me emanating fear. And they would mm -hmm. say to you, so how are you, dear? Let me translate that for you. You're going to die. Everyone dies from cancer. That was so difficult for me. It was a fear of friends, of acquaintances, of business partners. And I had to really weed those people out of my life because that was just one more thing to deal with. And I could not let that toxic feeling get into me. So I ask you, with the fantastic title of your book, Cancer Survivors Fear First Aid Kit, that's a mouthful. Hmm. What are your guidelines for living a life going forward that could be the best life, the life you survive for? For me, it actually turned out to be a much more emotionally alive mm -hmm. um, life because it did open up my heart and it, and, it, and it did make me so much more compassionate and empathetic. What do you say to people? How do you guide them? The fear is a creature of the future. You know, we're oh. inventing a future in our mind that yeah. may or may not come to be. Usually it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't come to be, but, it, but that's what we do in our minds. So we have these amazing brains, right? But they have this capacity to create scenarios that can cause fear in us, even if they're not at all real. So in my my sense of it is that in order to overcome that, we have to go where fear has no power. And that is back to the present. Fear is only a creature of the future. We have to come back to the present and, and not in the past either. You know, we can invent fear about or remember fear sometimes about things that happened in the past. It's only in the present that we can we have control to create what we want in our own minds. And so there's lots of ways to do that. I suggest a number of them in my uh, Fear First Aid kit. Um, but it, but anything that will help us come back to the present, which is where we have the control. And that's where we affirm that, yes, I may have concerns about what happens going down the line, but what's happening right now? Well, for we can still say most survivors, but even the ones who are still with working with cancer, in this moment, actually, things are calm. I'm fine. I have things I need to work on, but I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm alive. I'm okay. And very often I have people around me who love me. So remembering what's true in the very present moment takes the control away from fear. And then from the present moment, creating, for example, an hour, a day, that looks like the life that you want to live as best you can, but um, not spending it in our heads with a companion that actually is only there to torment us. In my experience, I was enveloped by structure and by doctors and doctors who were my cheerleaders, doctors who were doing all sorts of scary tests, chemotherapy nurses. I got to know everybody and yeah. it became sort of a social community for me because I'm someone who likes structure so much. Yes. 
it was like, yeah, this is good. Here's what we do Monday. Here's what we do Tuesday. Wednesday is chemo day. Thursday is radiation. Da, da, da. Yes. And then suddenly it's all gone. And the what I learned was they kept asking me to be part of a research program. I did not want to be reminded of cancer. I did not want to take a mystery drug. And I did not want to stay in that culture of mind-bending disease forever. What do your patients and the, the people that you write your fear kit guide for, what do they feel when treatment ends? Do they feel like they're just pushed out into the open ocean on a little raft with one paddle like I felt? Yes, unfortunately, that is still the experience of most people who come out of cancer treatment. You know, the structure that you refer to is very reassuring when a person is on slippery ground. You yeah. know, it's nice to know you have people around you to hold you up and, 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 and you know when you need to do what, et cetera. So it's all beautiful for the, for the duration of cancer treatment, but there's an unintended uh, consequence of that, which is that, again, the minute a person's diagnosed, they're put right into this structure. So now people are tell, all around them are telling them what they need to do and when they need to show up, et cetera. The minute that's over, and as you point out, it's when it's over, it's over. Oh, yeah. Tip, there is no structure after that in in the almost everybody's experience. I have I have not yet had a person tell me that I had a similar structure for survivorship as I had a similar appropriate structure for survivorship as I had during no. my treatment. It doesn't happen. So all of a sudden, what's happened is the power has been given over to the system during that time. And again, I'm not, this is in no way saying we shouldn't be doing the treatment that we're doing, but in terms of the psychological effects, I've given myself over to the instructions of others. And then I come out and I'm left hanging as you describe. And the question is, you know, who, who, who is even there to support me when I've had for months now, exactly the same team there. I'm, I, I am in fact cast adrift. That causes a new round of fear. If the cancer itself wasn't something that instilled fear, it usually is, then we have a new round of fear in survivorship because I simply am left not knowing what to do and I'm feeling very disempowered. I feel like everybody else has got the answers and I don't know what to do. I was and feeling really exposed and I'll tell you yes. why. My surgeon said to me, you've got to take the after drug it will cut down on your chances of getting a recurrence by, I don't know, 25%. When in fact, 10 to 15% of us just walking on the streets are primed for cancer every single minute of our lives. So, okay. But nobody ever said that it could cause severe arthritis, that it would cause osteoporosis, mm -hmm. that it would cause terrible nightmares, intense joint pain and damage no one said anything yeah. they just said take this i'm so for me i was a freak i went through and i'm knocking on wood i went through chemotherapy i never even got nauseated and i had the strongest chemotherapy for the longest amount of time that was just my makeup mm -hmm. so i think okay i'm gonna take the drug and ace it mm -hmm. uh no couldn't tolerate the first drug, went to the second drug. Worse yeah. than the first, went to the third drug. Worse than the first two, and then was told, well, that's it, you're on your own. What 
what? And my treatment approximately cost $1.1 million within a year. But the minute insurance wasn't covering it anymore, they just, I'm not saying they weren't compassionate people, but they were on a salary from a hospital and the attitude was, you're done, you're done. And I thought to myself and I asked the question, how could you know 238 different forms of breast cancer? But the aftercare is just three different pills, one at a time. And if they don't work, hey, you're on your own. Good luck. I I was floored. Yes. Really. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, the medical system offers essentially drugs and surgery. These are very, very important in the proper context. But the the problem is when drugs work, they're wonderful, but they don't work for everybody or they work with enormous side effects that are very... Exactly. Exactly. That can really ruin the quality of life. It depends on the person, but it does happen. I, again, I've heard these uh, complaints from many, many, many people. So they're not always appropriate for everybody. Um, especially if what we want to do is get well and healthy afterwards. You know, if we can't live or we can't walk properly, et cetera, et cetera, it's not, it's not a life that we want to survive for. So, um, the good news is that there is more that can be done that can certainly add to significantly the possible effects of any drugs. And, and something that I like to to raise, and this is based on research, on meta-analyses, in other words, studies that in, that study other studies and put together the, the general conclusions, that for just an example, that moderate exercise, and we're talking about 30 minutes of walking five times a week, so not we're not talking about the Olympics, we're talking about some, just moderate Good paced walking for 150 minutes a week, that increases the chances of recurrence by a third to a half. A third wow. to a half. Yes. Yeah, they I never mean, bring it, that up. Well, Never. well, this is not the domain of conventional medicine. You know, medicine, this is, I, I'm a holistic physician, so I offer a different part of the spectrum that is offered by conventional medicine. You know, I value what they do, and then there's value in what I and my colleagues do, that there are other therapies out there that provide equal protection to these drugs, and not, not only are not damaging, but they actually build up the body. They wow. nourish the body in various ways. So they, 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 add to healing in addition to preventing the result that we don't want. So, so yes, it's just steady, moderate exercise is, is a well-proven therapy that's as good as any cancer drug that's out there right now. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not recommending that people not take the drugs, but I do recommend that they do this in addition. And if exercise is difficult, which it can be after treatment, then you start somewhere and you build up to it over that's time. That's what I did. I started yes. somewhere. Yes. I, I did not know it was as effective, but to be totally fair to Mount Sinai Hospital in Manhattan, um, they did have kind of the Ten Commandments. Don't eat red meat. Try to do a plant-based diet. Yeah. Don't drink hard alcohol. Obviously, mm-hmm. don't smoke cigarettes. But yes. I, believe it or not, I still know people that do. Yeah. And on and on. And part of it was exercise now they recommended it during chemo i was on the strongest form of chemo i could not i just couldn't but on the other hand i saw that i had to put that regime together Mm -hmm. to get back to any kind of Mm -hmm. normal life because my life was so active yes and i guess what what i say is what in your estimation 
are the number one questions on a survivor's mind or the mind of a primary caregiver like I was for my soulmate um, as you see them going through the trials of a very, very difficult disease, no doubt. What are the burning questions on their mind that, that you feel you would love to answer so that the entire experience, patient and caregiver, could be more positive, more fulfilling, and and more heart driven. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a beautiful beautiful way to state the question. Um, the question that I see on the minds of survivors is, what do I need to do so that that won't happen again? And again, it's it's a fear based question, but it's understandable given given the experience. Who wouldn't be asking that question in that sort of situation? So. There, of course, are no guarantees, none at all. Doctors can't give guarantees either, medical doctors. But what we what we can do is there, there are many things that we can do. And in doing those things, in other words, taking back the hours and the days of my life and making each one look as much as possible like the life that I want to be living, that's where I take back my power and I create from the inside out. I begin, I take back my power to create my life. And even though there are no guarantees, at least a person can say, okay, this day is what I, much more of what I wanted it to be. This week was much more of what I wanted it to be. And I ah. build that up into the life as close as I can to the life that I want to create. So it's, it's about taking back one's power and you using know, it to create. For, for me also, and I was, I was fully responsible for my cancer. I ignored a shadow on a mammogram. I did not get mammograms regularly. I said, eh, it's calcium deposit. But what I was really saying in my mind was, I'm so freaking scared to death. I don't want to know what the answer is. And the other thing was, because I was in a visual industry and two youth-obsessed industries, television and fashion, um, I took hormone replacement therapy way too long. So my first thing was I took responsibility for what I did and kind of said, oh, congratulations, Diane. You know, you made your worst fears come true. But the other thing I did was I felt that I led a very toxic lifestyle, at least work-wise. And that that toxicity drove the disease to where it was and what it became. And as I came out of treatment, I thought, I'm going to get rid of every toxic element of my life I'm capable of. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to fill that area with productivity and happiness. Mm-hmm. and joy and love and yes. light. And I think that that could be, in my belief system, one of the greatest repellents to getting sick again. Well, how do you feel about that? I, I feel like there's no better way. Again, there's no guarantees, but there's no better way. And, and, and underneath it all, what you were doing is you were taking back your power. You were taking back huh. your power. 
right? You were creating again from the inside what you wanted. You said, okay, I now I now see what I identify as toxicity. I choose to get that out of my life. I choose to take in and create also what I want. And that's enormously, I mean, it's literally empowering. And, and, and that is what we need. We need people to take back their power to do what's good for their health, what's good for their well-being, and 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 create that joy that makes life worth living. I always said to my doctors when I was going through treatment, they always said, oh my God, Diane, you're so fearless and hardly, and you're so positive. We look forward to the days we're treating you. But I also felt even during treatment that I needed to shine that light Mm -hmm. all around me with the Mm -hmm. doctors, the nurses, the receptionists who booked yes. you yeah. for two minutes. So everybody around me saw me as a, a, a manufacturer, a, 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 a creator, a creator mm-hmm. of light and happiness. And then they were almost like mirrors. They mm-hmm. gave it back to me. That's right. So I even began during treatment to take care of anything dark in my life. And as I said, again, if I had friends who constantly emanated fear, like, oh, I'm going to be nice to her because I know she's going to die because everyone dies of cancer. I had to put them in in another place in my life. And the other thing I did was I took cancer and I put it in a nice box at the end of the treatment i wrapped that box i tied it up with beautiful ribbon and Mm -hmm. i put it in a closet and i said okay what did i get out of being treated Mm -hmm. what do i feel about my life now and i felt so much better about my life honestly and i'm not going to bring that i am not going to live in that box. And that is yes. one of the greatest mistakes I think people make is they just go on living it. And that is so corrosive to getting your life back. How do you feel about that? What I remind people of is that uh, you are a person who has had cancer, but you are not cancer. Ah. There's there, you know, the cancer is a process that happens in the body, but you, there's so much more of you than the cancer. And furthermore, there are parts of you that cancer will never touch. The cancer will never touch. You know, like we are like like the essence of who we are, our character, our personality, our 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 our, our soul. You know, souls don't get cancer. Bodies do, bodies do, but souls don't. And every one of us is carrying this essence uh, in this world. And if we come back to that, that part n- never has had cancer and never has to suffer from the cancer. It, 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 you know, we often do because we're human, but it, it can be brought beyond that. It can be brought beyond that. We just have to remember that there's a part of us that is completely uninvolved in this. And from that part, we still, you, you can have, be joyful and have cancer at the same time. You know, it's not, uh, these are not contradictory. I... I said cancer was a great teacher, Mm -hmm. but I would also say cancer was a great motivator. And what I Mm -hmm. mean by that, and I wonder if you've heard this from any of your patients, I came out of it and I realized how beautiful life Mm -hmm. was. And I realized how 
precious every moment was. Yes. And then I asked myself the question, I was in a career that for me was turning toxic and a business relationship that was way into toxicity. And I said, is this how you want to live out your remaining years? Mm -hmm. And the answer was no. Yes. And my next question was, okay, Diane, what are you going to do about it? Brave the unknown. Be as mm-hmm. brave as you were when you were going through cancer treatment. Be as brave mm-hmm. as you were when you yes. were a younger woman. Mm-hmm. Do you find that that redefinition of life, the beauty of life, the preciousness of life, the fact that we are so privileged to be living life, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you find that the majority of your patients come to that conclusion and then you help shepherd them into getting the best part of that going again? That's our final question. I could talk to you forever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. In, in, in a nutshell, that that's essentially it. Um, You know, it's interesting what you just said before, how you walked into cancer treatment and you would shine a light out and people wanted to be around you. Okay. So you're you're describing the same thing now in survivorship, The, the realization that life is precious, life is beautiful absolutely true but it's also a projection of who you're being because when a person is being fearful and carrying that around like you know the rain cloud over their head life doesn't look so beautiful or at least they can't see it it is but they can't see it but when they are ready to take on life again when they are ready to to be brave again and be joyful in whatever ways they can be joyful then life looks beautiful so it, it in part that's a radiation outwards also and that's what i help people do to remember that part of themselves that wants to be well believes that they can be well. Yeah, I gotta have a belief. I call it the power of intention. Yes. If you have the intention to be well and thrive, Mm -hmm. part of that has to be making everybody around you as happy as they can be so you can spread that joy. Mm -hmm. And and um I don't know, it turned me into a different person. And I, I think it turned me into a person far more equipped to deal with growing older in a totally new, productive way. And yes. I, I, I have to say, I am not unhappy with myself for how I structured my whole treatment elementally and emotionally. And you do a great service, Dr. Shawnee, because so many of us come out of treatment and we are suddenly in a new land, almost Mm -hmm. a landscape that's alien, and we don't see any road signs. And you are a great, well-lit road sign to getting more well and doing it in a way that makes you really want to live life. I thank you so much for that. It's my great joy and pleasure to do that. Yeah, I describe myself as a hand to hold. You know, I'm not just a sign. I'm a hand to hold. I, you know, just, I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you until you're out there on your own and, and really thriving. And I can see that you love what you do too. Yes. And, and I thank you again for that, not only as a survivor of breast cancer, but as somebody who was a caregiver and had no hand to hold when my mate of 20 years passed on. Mm -hmm. And this 
is our last chapter for October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I thank you all for listening. I think this was a really touching and important podcast to know about. And Dr. Shani, I hope we stay in touch and meet in the future. A joy and a pleasure to have been here, Diane. I hope so too. Fabulous. Thank you so much for listening to Too Young to Be Old Podcasts. The episode may be over, but the fun doesn't have to stop here. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at The Diane Gilman, or visit our website, thedianegilman.com. If you like the show, leave us a rating or a review, and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, don't forget, age is just a number. Together, we'll prove that we are all too young to be old.